and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris. Here, as always, with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk about uh, everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to it all the time, go over to the A to Z Sports Big Orange. Man. I feel like Tennessee football here. I just I can't get it exactly right. Uh, the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Rate, review, subscribe. A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And you'll find our podcast and a few uh, others over there on the A to Z Sports Network. I'm at Charlie underscore Burris. That's at Zach TNT on Twitter. At A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports. And A to Z Sports Nashville.com to find everything that Zach and I write over there. Let's get right into it, I guess. That uh, that was all of a Saturday night, wasn't it, Zach? That was uh, one of the more interesting Saturday night Tennessee games in a long time. And I thought about this. I've thought about it a lot since Saturday night, uh, early Sunday morning since the game was five hours long. That's the even though Tennessee lost, that's the most fun, the most emotionally invested I've been in a football game, a Tennessee football game in a long time. And I'm counting the Butch Jones era, the ten, the Georgia win, the Florida win, and don't get me wrong, I was jumping up and down, excited, but that just felt like a th- such a throwback game for Tennessee. It was prime time. Everybody was talking about it immediately after the game. That was the game everybody was talking about for a lot of reasons. But it was a good game. It was a close game. It was uh, came down to the last play, literally the last play. That's what Tennessee fans have been missing. It's what I've been missing. A, a good team, an Ole Miss team that's on the verge of the top ten. Uh, that atmosphere, best atmosphere in college football. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, you could – hear the crowd on TV. I can't imagine being in the stadium. Uh, it was everything you could want. I mean, that's that's what you want in a Tennessee game. Somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. Unfortunate outcome for Tennessee, but I mean, that that's what you want. I mean, it wasn't the Jeremy Pruitt blowout losses. It was a good competitive game. That game from start to finish was a testament to how much of a sleeping giant Tennessee truly is and that's been the case since things went downhill 15 whatever years ago i mean that's tennessee went into hibernation and is just waiting to explode the videos of the pregame just i i was here doing the the game day show that i do with jonathan crompton um so i wasn't able to be there but i I mean, you just got chills just watching the videos like on your phone. Like that atmosphere was unbelievable. They had the lights. They added the lights and the spotlight on the T running out of the T now. And and every, everything about that with it being a night game and all of the buildup was absolutely incredible. I, I think we're going to get to this. I think it was also a bit of a time bomb, uh, it turns out. <laughs> but... That you just you can't say enough about it. That atmosphere it's one it's you know, I would argue it's the best atmosphere in all of college football. It's just unbelievable. And and that has to I know people are, are really hawking on, and this is another thing we're gonna talk about a little later in the show. 
a lot of people were hawking on like, oh, what are recruits going to think about? <laughs> well, what are recruits like? What, what do you say? The final 10% of the game or the other 90% that was totally unbelievable. Like what are recruits going to see? And that's a whole other conversation. But you just have to think like that atmosphere has to be so impressive. And it's for a team that just came off of a three win season and firing a coach. That's what this is for. Like, that's how powerful this program can be. And it, it's just, it's a testament to to what Tennessee can be and should be in, in the future, I hope. Yeah, I mean, it took Derek Dooley really to his third season to get an atmosphere like that, the uh, the Florida game in 2012. It took Butch Jones until his third season, uh, the Oklahoma game, 2015. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt never got that atmosphere at never. Tennessee. And, and to be fair, he was cheated out of that in his third year because of COVID, to be completely fair. But it wasn't trending the right direction anyway for that type of atmosphere. And Josh Heupel, I mean, this is what is his fourth home game, fourth, fifth home game. I mean, and he's went from what they had 80 some thousand fans in the stands at, at the Tennessee Tech game to selling that game out and having the best atmosphere of any game that I saw this weekend. I mean, that was it was the best game of the weekend. I mean, the Georgia-Kentucky game, I mean, it went as I expected, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was kind of a snoozer. Uh, the Alabama-Mississippi State game, a snoozer. LSU-Florida was fun, but that was a noon game where neither one of those teams are really playing that well right now, so it didn't really matter who won. Uh, the Tennessee game was by far the best game, and to think that Heupel has done that in half of a season is really remarkable because that's not where I expected this program to be right now. With the actual f- football on the field and just the stadium atmosphere, there's so much to talk about. Like You can leave the ending of the game out of it. There's so much to talk about already. So let's, let's kind of do it like this. Let's break down the football game and exactly what happened, and we'll sort of naturally, it ends with talk uh, about the throwing of things on the field and the outburst of Tennessee fans. So let's do it that way. Atmosphere unbelievable. Best best of the weekend, probably the best in all of college football. And in Heupel's first season, incredible. How do we grapple with what actually happened on the football field in this game? Because it, it was weird. You almost beat the number 13 team in America and a, and a team that is led by the current Heisman frontrunner, in Corral. So, you know, Corral, he killed you all night long. And yet, on the final possession of the game, Joe Milton connects with Cedric Tillman. You would have won that football game. And despite all of that, that's crazy. What a feat. What a feat by Josh Heupel from, from there. But I also go, Tennessee might have won this game by double digits if Heupel calls a better game. So it's conflicting. I, I really have conflicting feelings about it because I really feel like ten, like I, I don't walk away from this game going Tennessee gave 110 percent they gave they gave 100 percent effort. I'm not saying the, the effort was lacking, but I, I don't look at that game and go, oh, they left it all out there and they just came up short. I think they probably should have won, unfortunately, and there were self-inflicted wounds that made it so they didn't beyond even the officiating. I think you could have easily overcome the officiating in this game with with a better called offense. It's kind of, this is a complicated one. It's a really complicated one, man. Yeah, it's pretty pretty tough because there was at one point in the game, it felt like the game was about to get away. It, it was 24-9. Yeah. 
it looked like Ole Miss was going to go score, make it 31-9 maybe before halftime, and, and Tennessee was able to get the ball back, cut into the lead a little bit, kind of get their way back into the game. The Obviously, the, the muffed punt is one of the biggest things because that you can't even put that touchdown on the defense. I mean, you give Ole Miss the ball at their Tennessee 10-yard line, it's inevitable they're going to score from there. Um, and that, that would have been huge. You stop Ole Miss on the first drive of the game. I, I don't know if Tennessee goes down and scores there or not. It, it, it's impossible to say, but just stopping them, I mean, that automatically puts the momentum in Tennessee's favor. Uh, so really, when I look at the final score, I really only feel like Tennessee's defense gave up 24 points, which yep. is insane because Ole Miss is going to score. Uh, Matt Corral ran all over Tennessee. But I, I kind of wonder if maybe that was kind of Tennessee's plan, not to let him run, but to be willing to give up some of that so he w- they wouldn't get beat down the field and give up those big plays that that we see Lane Kiffin offenses connect on often. They, they did it against Arkansas. Tennessee contained that. I mean, I thought it was a great defensive plan. I mean, they could have done better, obviously, spying Corral. They tried. They just couldn't get off blocks. It is what it is. I mean, he's a good player. He really is. The only um, legitimate mistake I saw from that defense was not having better players. If you want to consider that a mistake, it's a situation Tennessee finds itself in because everybody was like, Spy Corral, Spy Corral, Spy. They were. They were. Yeah. <laughs> they were Spy Corral. And you you just, you know, whatever it is, the guys you, you were putting out there is Jeremy Banks a lot of the time. And it just well, every time it seemed like the center got out and was right, had Banks right there, and Banks had to make a decision, and Corral's just going the opposite way and getting around it. I mean, every single time it seemed like that was the the play that they were making. And, but still, I was still very impressed by the defense. Yeah, I, I, I just, I can't, that is just a part of this game that I just can't hit on. You held a team that was averaging 44 points a game to 31 points. You held that team to seven points in the second half. You gave your offense Four opportunities, if I'm thinking correctly, four opportunities to win that football game. Four. Like, the the defense did everything it could. The defense did everything it could, and it came down to the offense, and and that's where it was tough. And I, I hawked on Heupel before, and I said, I think if he calls a better game, you probably win. I think that's true. But I also go, he was handicapped, because I think if Tyon Evans plays, you win. Because... Heupel was calling a game that I think works with Tyon Evans in the game because mm-hmm. he's he's calling runs on first and second down that with Tyon Evans in get four or five yards. And with Jabari Smallin, they were getting one yard. And th- three or four yards on a single play makes all the difference. Averaging four yards on a play uh, is a first down every single drive. If you just get four yards on every single play, you end up scoring a touchdown. You'll never fall behind the sticks like that. And so... But averaging one to two yards, that can be a ball game right there. And so I, I think there was that that I have to give Heupel. You know, Kate, Cade Mays mm-hmm. goes out with injury. That's massive. So he's working from behind. That's why I, I look at this game and I do say Heupel could have called a better game. Also, if he had a healthy roster, I think Tennessee might win this game by double digits. You, you capitalize on two of those drives that were duds and you won by double digits. You capitalize on the fumble touchdown, you win, 
And then you capitalize on one of those dud drives and you win by double digits. I mean, it was that that close, that much of a razor's edge to beating the number 13 team in America and potentially beating them by double digits. You were that close. And and so I I cannot walk away from this game being terribly disappointed. I am horrifically disappointed in the SEC for allowing this officiating to be as bad as it is. I'm I'm obviously disappointed in in losing but i can't walk away and just be like oh here we go again that's not how i feel i don't feel like here we go again i feel like this is a feat that tennessee was in this game and not only in this game but should have won that's that's a feat and it's it's really complicated but you know i, I just you got to give credit credit where it's due yeah, it's it's definitely the most encouraged i've felt about tennessee football in a long time and i'm not having to talk myself into it no, because like like I alluded to earlier, this isn't a this isn't a game where it's shocking that Tennessee was in it at the end or that they made it a game. Like I kind of got lost in the game and not even thinking about Tennessee going through a rebuild. Uh, I wasn't thinking about is this the right guy. I mean, I was totally lost in the moment. It felt like twenty years ago to me. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it, it just felt so much different. And when you saw so many Jeremy Pruitt games where they just lost by 28 points and had to sit up there and listen to him talk about the gap is closing. I mean, <laughs> a Jeremy Pruitt team loses that game by 30 points Saturday night. And it's not even close. So all, all that all that considered, it, it was a huge step forward, I think. I'm concerned moving forward the rest of the season as far as depth. Obviously, if Hendon Hooker is out for an extended period of time, that's really bad because Joe Milton, it was one of the worst plays I've ever seen the last play of the game. We all saw it. He he just, no, no situational awareness. But to his credit, he came in cold and threw that first pass, got a first down, moved the chains, got Tennessee in a position to where they could score, threw the ball to the end zone, and I think he was just so – he wasn't locked into the game where Tennessee didn't really have a chance to huddle up and do anything there. They didn't really have a chance to go over what they were going to do in that situation. It was real fast. You had six seconds left on the clock. Just had to go and, and make the play happen. And Milton just lost. He just lost total concentration of where he was at on the field, what just the situation thing. was. Yeah, and it's – and who knows, you know, maybe he throws the ball in the end zone and it's it's picked off. He throws it away. He throws it into the stands. Who knows what happens? It's just frustrating as a fan just to say, what if, you know, what if he, he you know, makes that play? I, I just can't. Milton is at the rock bottom of anything that I'm going to hit on in this game. For, for everything that you said there, he gets you to the 20th yard line initially. And that's nice, but he's in this tough spot where he's cold as ice coming into the game. Just isn't, you know, out of necessity, isn't feeling it, isn't in the flow of things. And yeah, you obviously he should have just chucked it into the end zone. Chances are that doesn't connect either. Let's be totally honest, because Ole Miss was just dropped back into coverage. Mm -hmm. Totally. Their entire goal on that play was to just keep you from throwing the ball into the end zone. And yeah obviously he should have just chucked it into the end zone and, and see if you can win a tip drill. But like it just you should, you should have won when you intercepted the football. 
you would have you had you would have scored the points to win the football game. I mean, when when you intercepted that football, all of the momentum is working. Ole Miss is rattled, totally rattled in that moment. You, Matt Corral, that was his first interception of the season. You did something that no other team to this point has done. You intercepted him for the first time in the season, and you're going on what would have been the game-winning drive at that point with minutes left in the game. Now, obviously, things might have gone differently. Maybe Ole Miss scores and to answer whatever because they might have called a different game down the stretch. But like, who you don't you don't know, but you should have scored more points earlier in the half. Really, you sh- it should have never come down to Milton chucking the ball into the end zone and praying for a miracle. You should have won it earlier. You should, it shouldn't have come down to that first down call where, or I guess fourth fourth down call. Yeah. We wanted to be a first down. Then, you know, people throw stuff on the field. It shouldn't have come down to that. If you capitalize before the interception, if you capitalize earlier in the game on some dud drives, like that's, that's the part where I just go like, I just, I'm not, yeah, we all know Hooker is better than Milton. That's clear. I think there's a conversation to be had that we, <laughs> that we probably will have. Should you start Milton in this next game or, or ratchet down to Harrison Bailey instead? Because Milton, it's just not there. I don't know. But, you know, I, th- there was a lot in this game where I go, it's amazing that you were competitive and you should have won. And that's an accomplishment. Also, I have to knock you because you should have won. But also, players were injured and you're really thin. Like I, It's a back-and-forth conflicting thing with this game uh, all the way around. And and so I, I, I walk away feeling still totally fine about the future of this team. I do not watch this and go, this threw up a ton of red flags with Hypel's play calling or anything like that. With healthy players, I think his play calling is fine in this game. And yeah, so, God, it's tough, man. That's that's tough. Ultimately, one I, I'm just glad that you know we there was so much hype for this game. I'm just glad it wasn't a letdown. I, yeah, I was so they, they afraid of that. Yeah, I was so <laughs> afraid of that happening because th- this was. I mean, it was so hyped all week between checkering the stadium, uh, you know, Kiffin coming back, coming off those two huge SEC wins and scoring the way they have the over under was a bit of a letdown if anybody made that bet because everybody <laughs> thought it was a sure thing and it yeah. didn't even come close to hitting. But u- ultimately, that was the biggest thing for me. I did. I thought about this today, too. Do, do you think Lane Kiffin was rattled after the delay? Because yes, his play calling, it's like he just gave Tennessee the ball back. They ran the I ball know. three times, and that's not... Usually, he's the very aggressive, wants to end the game. He's like a... Bill Belichick type guy that's going to throw the ball in that situation, try to get the first down and not give the other team a chance. I was very surprised by his play calling, and I wondered if he was rattled in that moment. It really seemed like it because I I could not agree more. He's always been that dude. You know, he's going to go for it on fourth down. His offense is like based around go going for it mm-hmm. on fourth down. That's yeah, they, they're deal. third. Yeah, they're third third and ten. They're trying to get six yards to make yeah. it manageable. Exactly, and so yeah. I thought Josh Heupel should have done more between the forties. Mm-hmm. There was a few situations where it's third and 10 and they're going for the big play. And I felt like in, in this game, especially against Lane Kiffin, when you're playing against somebody doing that, I wish he would have done a little more of that. Yeah. And there, there's, there's some philosophical questions to be had there. Um, 
I'll let another podcast go into the minutia of play calling in this game. <laughs> I'll put it that way. But on on the whole, I just can't knock almost anything that Tennessee did because of the dire situation that the roster is in. I'm I'm proud of that effort. I think you look forward and you go, Kentucky is a winnable game. Without a doubt, Kentucky is a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Get healthy. You got two weeks here. Hide all your good players on the sideline against Alabama. Just, you know, take the beating that you're going to take. And Don't say that too loud because I, I wrote something like at <laughs> the update about Hendon Hooker today. And I said, look, if he's not 100%, don't play him against Alabama. There's no, no, no. There's no point. I said, you, you know, you're, you're probably not going to win this game. And all my the comments immediately. How do you know the game? You know the game has to be played. I'm like, yes, I know it has to be played. But have you seen Alabama? They're faster than everybody. I mean, they probably won't lose again this season until they get to the SEC championship game because that loss to Texas A&M has just screwed everybody left on their schedule. Uh, there's just zero chance of that happening. I think Tennessee can be competitive. Maybe I think they can give Nick Saban a headache. Uh, but they're not going to win. So play Joe Milton. Play Harrison Bailey. Save we her. all know you play to win the game. I mean, that's that's an absolute given. I I would say in this game, if you can get Tyon reps and he's feeling better, at least get the kid going because you don't want him to come in totally cold against Kentucky. Make sure that he's – don't overrun him or do anything like that. Put, don't put him in danger. But, like, I would say do that. But, Hooker, you got to have this kid for the rest of the season. And you just have to you have to do a risk calculation. It's a risk calculation. That's all you're doing. And you go with a with a duct tape together offensive line where the quarterback is almost definitely going to get sacked multiple times in this game. Are you going to put a hobbled kid in the backfield in this game against one of the most ferocious teams in America? That's not a good decision. It's not because you no. have winnable games left on the schedule, and you got to have you, that kid to win them. You've got to have him against Kentucky. It's a risk I've, assessment. I've thought since the beginning of the year that that's the biggest game on the schedule because to me that's the difference in six and seven wins. And seven wins, if you get to play in a bowl game and get that eighth win on there, just to – Unbelievable. Oh, it looks, it looks so much better than six and seven, six and six, seven and six, whatever. Eight wins. I mean, it's the best Pruitt ever did. And uh, that would be huge. And you're not going to get that by – being Alabama, it's Kentucky. That's the game that matters. Exactly. Like that, we all they we all get it. We want to beat Alabama, but you also have to speak realistically and do a real, like I said, risk assessment of that football game and go from there. I don't know what they'll do. That's conversation for the end of the show. But let's do talk about now. So Tennessee comes down. You know, we've given our our analysis. Of everything that happened leading up, it realistically never, if if you can just score more, it never should have come down to this, but it did. So whatever, forget what it could have, should have, it did come down to this. And the refs give Ole Miss the ball back on a extremely close spot. And fans are pissed and start throwing stuff on the field. And let's just, let's, I don't want to have to say this over and over and over again. Don't throw anything on the field. Everybody, everybody knows this. Even if you feel justified in doing it. And I know I, I watch that and I go, 
yeah, I want to. Th- I want to be there and throw something on the field. It pissed me off so bad. You can't. You you can't do that. It's not safe. It's not okay. It's not cool. You can't do that. So let's just start there and say, don't ever throw stuff. Also, and this is the whole conversation to be had here. Anybody acting like there wasn't like instigating factors here, shut up. We all watch the game. We all know what's happening. We all know the mythos of Tennessee with Lane Kiffin. We all know Lane was being a douche and making his players go down. We haven't even touched on this. Lane Kiffin making this game borderline unwatchable because he's he's making his players take dives. They're faking injuries all over the place. Some of them were real. Some of them were undoubtedly real. But a whole bunch of them were fake just to slow down Tennessee's momentum. And so all of this is just building on top of itself. And it comes down to this extremely heated moment in an extremely close game where you basically made a miracle throw to make it on fourth and 24. And, and it just boiled over. It boiled over. Like I, like I said, I, I felt it within me watching that game. I was like, yeah, throw some stuff. These guys deserve this. And then you, you have to just take a step back and go like, we, we can't throw anything. We can't throw anything. That's not good. I was as pissed off as anybody raging in my living room. You can't do that. But it did all happen, and I, I don't know necessarily where to start the conversation about that, but it's it pisses me off from every single angle. I know that much, and th- we we got to get into it. Yeah, I mean, it starts with the fumble uh, in, in the first quarter. That's I have watched this play now 25 times since Saturday night, if not more. I've watched it. The different angles that are available, slowed it down, just everything possible to try to make sense of it. And none of it makes sense. I mean, the referee whose call it was, was right in front of the play. He watches it happen. The ball comes out. Tyler Barron scoops it up and the referee literally runs with him to the end zone. Um, there was confusion on Matt Corral's part. He looked confused. Like he didn't know what was going on. I hate it for him. Uh, that has, it's not Tennessee's fault. I don't know if that's why they blew the play dead after. And, and and let me start there. That's the most frustrating part to me is the explanation that the SEC released oh. is that the referees got together after the play. After the play, after they after they let it play out as you should do in that situation. Let it play out. Um then they got together and decided that the forward progress had been stopped. Now, Matt Corral never even got to go forward. There was no uh, forward progress of any kind. No. And zero. They're making that up out of thin air. Within a second, or less than a second, of him being hit, the ball is being ripped from him. Uh, you don't have time to it blow It wasn't even whistle. close. Not even yeah. close. So, the explanation, if, if you could say it was an inadvertent whistle... Because I've seen that happen, and it's there's no excuse for it. That was the and Mississippi it, State Memphis game. Yeah, there was inadvertent whistle. That's what they called it, and the that, SEC apologized. That is maddening. That will drive you crazy because I think forward progress should be reviewable. I know it's a judgment call. There should be some sort of rule where there's an amount of time that the player has to be stood up and not going forward or something, and it's very black and white. Whatever it is, two seconds. I don't know, but. 
Calling forward progress is the same thing as a tackle. And you can review a tackle. You can see if a player's knee is down. You can look at it from every angle and make the determination. Those two plays are equally important when it comes to spotting a football, turnovers. It's just as important. If you can review when a player's knee is down and the ball's coming out, you should be able to review forward progress when the ball's coming out. They, they got to fix that. But there was no inadvertent whistle. They let the play continue. That's what makes me so incredibly angry about it. And I feel like the only reason that happened, and this isn't a conspiracy theory, I don't, I think the referees thought that they had screwed up somehow because Corral looked confused. Yeah. And he looked like he had given up on the play. And that's the only reason they made the call that they did. I, I don't think there's some conspiracy where the referees want Ole Miss to win. I don't buy into any of that kind of stuff. But they did a poor job and they screwed up and it impacted Tennessee. It's it's exactly like when a receiver will get up from missing a pass and look around and be like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? Mm-hmm. Where's the flag? Mm-hmm. And then a ref goes, oh, 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 oh. and yep. then and it might not have even been pass interference at all. I, I mean, how many times does that happen? You know, and I think it was the exact same thing where they went like, oh, I don't know. He looked concerned. So maybe I agree. I completely agree because there's you watch that replay. What forward progress? What are you talking about? What are you, you're making this up out of mm-hmm. thin air, fully out of thin air. If if that's forward progress, then it definitely wasn't a safety later in the game because that would have been forward progress. It was the right. same amount of forward progress that Corral had in the safety. <laughs> you know? well, if not more. If not more. Uh, and when he threw the ball with his left hand. I mean, if you're talking about forward progress, why is that not? Yeah. I mean, they had had him stood up there just as long. Or I think just as long. But, but I think what we saw later in the game, that was the catalyst for it, obviously. And that was, to me, a bigger deal than the spot. Because the spot, I understood. I knew in the moment it wasn't going to get turned over because of what the call on the field was. Now, maybe if they had given him a decent spot to begin with, they wouldn't have overturned it because it was really hard to see where the ball was. I've seen that play in hundreds of football games go against all kinds of teams. Like I, I knew the situation, but everything had boiled over to that point. There's a lot of holding calls out on the perimeter that didn't get called on Ole Miss. The injuries that Kiffin kept having his players go down. Every time one of those players went down, it stalled Tennessee's momentum. Those drives stalled every time. Kiffin was shameless about it. He knew it that's what he needed. Yeah, it, it worked. And it's mm-hmm. within the rules. You can do that because there's no way, there's there's nothing there to prevent it. Something else they got to fix. Make the player stay out the rest of the drive, the rest yeah. of the possession. That's the simple that's fix. That's the fix. Mm-hmm. Just make it happen and, and you'll see some of this stop. It won't stop it totally because they'll still be, you know, it'll still happen, but not as often. And I'm okay with it happening a little bit because Tennessee's done it too. Tyler Barron did it a few weeks ago or mm-hmm. last season. Uh, we saw Spraggins go down. It wasn't the same situation, but it was so Tennessee could get a sub in, which I think Hooker was also down on that play, so it really didn't matter. Um, but they told Spraggins to go down on the field so they could get their substitution in and not be you know in a, in a sticky situation there. Luckily, the clock had stopped on the first down, and, and they, they didn't have to go through a runoff. But they have all that stuff combined is what led to that moment. Plus, night game, it's almost midnight. There's a lot of fans that were there since like seven or eight o'clock Saturday morning. 
There's a lot of alcohol flowing. It, I it, know. It, I, I saw a lot of people commenting like, they should ban alcohol sales from the football game. Ain't nobody there drunk off of the $22 beer yeah. that's available in the stadium. Everybody got drunk between, as you said, 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they came in ready to rumble, okay? you And you can't outlaw that. Tennessee doesn't control the consumption that I do at my house before the football game, okay? And so, like, that's the nonsense. And this, th- there was so much that went into this that it just made it. The, the, the way that I said it to Crompton, this thing was a time bomb. And I, well, and I said it earlier in the show. This thing was a time bomb because it was obviously all of the horrible calls by the refs, the misholding penalties, the blah, 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 blah. We all know that Kiffin being, being cheeky with all the penalty, the injuries that's boiling over. You have this close tense game. That's the, that's the most tense I've ever, not the most tense I've ever been watching Tennessee football game, but the most tense I've been in, in yeah, years probably. Just being like, the win here is truly meaningful. Truly meaningful. They're like, you you get the Kiffin monkey off your back. You get to say that you beat a top 25 team. You get, you know, there was so much wrapped up in this. The atmosphere is crazy. Everybody's boozed up. And it just all came together and exploded. That does not excuse throwing things on the field for this whatever amount of people did it. Uh, and, and I very much want, want to think and I believe is the case is a small number of people throwing things and a huge number of people watching it happen in the stadium. And, and I would say a huge number of people, people are throwing things. And then there's a huge number of people just being pissed, throwing up middle fingers. I mean, you just saw it. There was a ton of that. And I mean, and I would say this, you should absolutely be pissed beyond belief. That's you're justified to the nth degree in your anger. I, you know, I already said it. You just can't justify throwing things, putting, putting the, the, you know, the safety of other people in the stadium, including the players and the coaches in, in danger. And it is legitimate danger. You throw a full water bottle at somebody's head, they're going to get hurt. You throw a golf ball at somebody's head, they're going to get hurt. And I know it became a joke after the game. It just, that is what it is. And in, in general, littering is just bad. Just don't yeah, litter. Just don't do that. Anywhere. Uh, I, I can't stand so, littering. But the, but I do have to go back from all of that. Just don't do it. Shouldn't have done it. Your anger is justified. Your anger is 100% justified. The throwing of things is not justified. And the thing in this entire situation that pisses me off more than anything is the reaction to all of this. From... Other fan bases, sure. I get that other fan bases hate Tennessee and they go like, give them the death penalty. Well, you root for Alabama. Of course you want Tennessee to get the death penalty. But these national media guys writing about Tennessee, and I know what they want is for you to be mad about what they wrote. Mm-hmm. But this... It works. <laughs> it does. This just pisses me off to no end. Because... These guys hate Tennessee fans. Like, don't don't get that twisted at all and just think, oh, it's just for clicks. They hate you, okay? If you are a Tennessee fan, they actively dislike you. And I'm talking Dan Wolken, Pete Thamel, Pat Forty. There's a few other ones. Those are the dudes that matter. Stuart Mandel. Stuart Stuart Mandel. This this whole 
the the blue check Twitterati douchebag brigade. You know who we're talking about, okay? And they they actively dislike you, and it it really stems, I believe, from the the Shiano thing. They all love Shiano. Oh, they would kiss Shiano's feet if given the chance. They I, they bet they wish they could wash his feet, okay? <laughs> and and so. They they are mad that Tennessee overturned all of that. They're still ticked off about it. They still can't get over it. That they Shiano's their boy. He feeds them information. He you know he's their their best friend. Any any quote about Shiano comes from Shiano. Let's mm-hmm. if it's a a, a a source about Greg Shiano, the source is Greg Shiano. <laughs> okay. Um, and so that's their boy, and you pissed them off, and they hate you. They think that you're you're a redneck. And, and a loser. And they think that you're lesser than them. And this is not okay. And I just can't let this go. Because it... I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to be the villain as a Tennessee fan. But to just have the national media down your throat no matter what you do. I, I'm just not gonna... As, as a former full-time media member, I'm just not gonna let these guys get away with this. Screw them. Screw them and anything that they write about Tennessee. Keep our name out of your mouth, you moron. I I just, it gets me so fired up, man. So fired up. Oh, it should. I mean, because they they dump on Tennessee and completely ignore anything else going on in college sports. Exactly. Uh, I tweeted this thread today where somebody, it was actually, a, this wasn't a national media person, but it was somebody from uh, in Alabama, a cartoonist, and they were talking about how Tennessee football fans are an embarrassment to the SEC. And I tweeted like a thread of things that Alabama fans have done. Uh, the headline, Alabama alum arrested for pissing on LSU fan. <laughs> Alabama fan reportedly shoots Auburn fan following argument over which team is better. Alabama fan apologies to Oklahoma student she kicked. Uh, Alabama fan murders LSU fan in in the middle of a game, which I don't think was at the stadium. We would have heard more about that. And there was there was a Texas A and M fan I think got shot recently too. Silence on this stuff, but because fans, a group of fans, some of which were Ole Miss fans as well, uh, but it was mostly Tennessee fans, threw the trash on the field. Not a good look. They're acting like it's like this fan base. It's just the worst thing to ever happen to college sports. It's beyond frustrating to read this stuff from them. And you want to ignore it, but it's just so – it gets to you. And it's hard to ignore it. And they know that. And local – even the David Ubbin from The Athletic is joining in with this stuff. The, the column he wrote for The Athletic was – it was just a recycled Pat Forty column. There was no thought that went into it. It was just Tennessee fans are bad. They should be embarrassed. This is a stain on the sport. And I think it's because Oven wants to be kind of part of that good old boys sports writers club where it's just become an echo chamber of opinions. And that's kind of what that national click is. There's a few outside of it. Josh Pate from CBS 24-7 Sports. Barrett Saleh from uh, CBS Sports. Those guys – do do great work and they've kind of been they've kind of championed Tennessee uh through the Greg Shiano stuff and through some of the this stuff that happened Saturday night 
It doesn't matter what Tennessee does at this point. It doesn't matter. They're rooting for Josh Heupel to fail. They were rooting for Jeremy Pruitt to fail. Uh, they don't want to see Tennessee successful. And I I don't know what beyond the Shiano stuff that could be about. But for whatever reason, they do. They hate Tennessee. They hate the fans. And they do. They, they think Tennessee fans are scum. And that's just how it is. It is. I mean, just this... Listen to some of this melodramatic nonsense. This is P- Pete Thamel. Oh, he's... Yeah. As each item crashed to the turf, another piece of empirical evidence was added to a rich history of collective classlessness. As the minutes tick by and the hailstorm continue, Tennessee fans exhibited a level of fan misbehavior that we haven't seen in college football this generation, except for two years ago at, a, at an Ole Miss basketball game when Ole Miss fans threw everything in the kitchen sink on the floor after a bad SEC officiating showing. You know, and we've no, and not in a generation have we seen. Okay, yeah, maybe not in college football recently, but we've seen it in football plenty of times. We saw it the very next morning in London, England. Jags fans threw stuff on the football field. And this is not... I'm not going to justify this, but to act like this is we've never seen what we should end the Tennessee football program and it's uh, uh, clutching their pearls so hard that they're shattering, you know, shut up, just shut it. And Pete Thamel, you write for Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo. Is it, is it the 1990 tech bubble? What Yahoo Sports? How could you be less relevant? Yahoo Sports. Do you also write for AskJeeves.com? Yahoo Sports. AOL.com. Yeah. Shut up. Nobody. You're so irrelevant that, that who who are who do you think you are? I, I wonder. Yahoo Sports. I wonder what your relatives tell their friends that you do. Because there's no doubt that they're too ashamed to tell them that you write for Yahoo Sports. Shut up. Like. Give me the biggest break. These people, I don't, I, I, I know that you're going to say, you're letting them, you're, they're winning with you getting mad. You just can't let it go by. You just, I'm done. You can't keep letting this go by. These guys deserve to get blowback on this. And I, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I just mm. there was a time I remember growing up in the late nineties, early two thousands, I remember hearing so many stories and through the media, because that was the way that you know, national media, that was how you really got information back before the internet was huge. Um, they used to celebrate West Virginia's atmosphere. It was a joke. They'll throw batteries at you. They'll throw bags of urine at you. I mean, they are just ruthless at West Virginia games. And it was something that people laughed about. And I'm not saying that you should laugh about it. That that sounds horrible and terrible. And I would not want to be in that environment. But they act like something like this has never happened before. I mean, Jabari Davis was talking about dodging beer bottles and bottles filled with piss at Florida games from fans on Twitter today. Like, it... Yeah. This is stuff that's happened for a long time, and yeah, there was a little. There was more than just a few bottles thrown. It, the field, the outside of the field, was littered with trash. Um, 
And it was a nationally televised game. It was the best game on. There was a lot of people watching it. If Tennessee's if that happens and Tennessee's playing Vanderbilt or Kentucky or even Arkansas, it's probably not as big of a deal. But because Lane Kiffin was there, I mean, that's all the SEC network wanted to talk about anyway. I don't think they talked about Josh Heupel until the second half. It, it was the Lane Kiffin show. That's the reason it was such a big deal. And that's the other thing uh, that David Ubbin and some others have done is they've painted Lane Kiffin as this angel. I mean, they're just – he was so graceful in his exit from from Neyland Stadium. He threw his visor to a fan after they threw a bottle of water at him. Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, Kiffin was instigating – most of this. The accounts from people that were at the game talking about the Ole Miss players and Kiffin motioning to the crowd and jawing back and forth with the crowd, that's what he wanted. I mean, he makes he makes things about himself all the time. I mean, everything's about him. In his pregame interviews, everything's about him. He always makes it about himself. Of course he was going to make this about himself. And he got what he wanted. And he had his reaction planned, I'm sure. He knew that it was going to be a hostile environment. He might not have known that was going to happen, but he knew he was not going to be received well. And uh, he knew he was going to take the high road, so that would be the perception of him. But that's not – I mean, we know who Lane Kiffin is. He's the dude that wrecks Alexis and doesn't call anybody and walks home. You know, that's who Lane Kiffin is. He has not changed. And he's proved that time and time again. Man, that whole, the whole thing it just it gets my blood boiling. I thought, and yeah, I I know I'm le- I'm letting them win. I'm let we're letting them win. This is what they want. It is, but it this is also like it. We can't we can't let that slip by. You you could not be more right about Kiffin. Like this this whole perception. What coach has done less and gotten more press off of it? Like he's. This dude way, has done nothing. I, the way that he left Tennessee. That's I why he's like, notable. Yes. If that doesn't happen, he is not the same position. He's a, he's a great play caller. I'm I'm not going to dispute that. We saw it at Alabama and how that offense struggled without him. But he, he hasn't really accomplished that much. Um, I mean, head-to-head, equal ground, Josh Heupel beat him twice at UCF and should have beat him with a thinner roster the other night. Uh, this Lane Kiffin's a savant and the gift of coaching. Uh, that narrative all started just because of the way he left Tennessee, and yeah. it's it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that he got the Raiders job when he did that he did not deserve in any way, and it was a total catastrophe. USC was a catastrophe. I wouldn't be surprised. He's going to parlay this Ole Miss job into like the LSU job or something. And yeah. God knows what will happen in Baton Rouge. He's like the, the betting odds favorite to be the LSU. I'm sure it will happen. He's not gonna, he knows that he can't compete with Alabama at Ole Miss. Heck no. He knows yeah. it. LSU, he he, you can at LSU. That place recruits itself. Uh, but I, he'll screw that up. Like without Think about what the game, if he takes that LSU job, do you know who Tennessee plays next year? Oh, LSU. <laughs> is that so, in Knoxville or is it? Uh, last time we played him was in Knoxville. It's probably Baton Rouge. I don't uh, know. I'd have to look. Um, don't make we, that a noon game just to try to. Yeah, <laughs> just be like, oh, maybe we don't don't do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I. But yeah, like, the guy falls up, and I, the smud look on his face. He taunts Tennessee fans on Twitter, and. 
I mean, I've been guilty of it. I wanted him back whenever they did the coaching search in January. I suggested Kiffin, and I fell under his spell. But I texted you this on Saturday night. Seeing him playing against him Saturday night, it made all those feelings from January of 2010 come right flooding back. I felt those same emotions towards Lane Kiffin. And they have not went away since Saturday. So I think I, I hope the, this, the veil has been removed here. I do hope that this shaves off the last set of people who are in love with Lane Kiffin still. Because they're just Tennessee fans that still, you know, oogle over him. Hopefully this moves people out of that. And I was in that same... I would say you can kind of be both. Where if he would have come to Tennessee for this job right now, I would have been for that. I would have said, great hire. I mean, that's really solid and glad he's back. But also now, he's Ole Miss's coach. He's not Tennessee's coach. I have no love for him. He is gone. That guy can kick rocks. That's yeah. all. Or kick he more, balls. He spent more time <laughs> at every other place that he's been at than he did at Tennessee. Exactly. I mean, there's no love loss between Tennessee and, and that man now. Like, just let it go. Let it go. And and I I know the guys that played for him at Tennessee still have a, love, a lot of love for him. Crompton included. And, and well, rightfully that's so. fine. I get that. They, that's yeah, a different situation. That's that, a personal yeah, exactly. relationship. Exactly. That's my, yeah, that's where I was going. They knew him personally. This, it's over. The link, it's just got to be. But I, I don't know how to transition I think, away from that, but well, I think I think Tennessee's got to embrace uh, Tennessee fans, uh, and Tennessee to some extent use it as motivation. But Tennessee fans should embrace it. Be the villains. Uh, be the one that everyone hates. That's fine. This, all all of this all of this hate, especially from nas- national media. I mean, specifically from national media, because like I said, from other fan bases. What? Whatever. Like who? Who cares? Of course you're gonna hate Tennessee. If yeah. if Al, if Alabama did this, I'd be the same person going out and be like, throw Alabama into the the trash heap. They gotta go. You know, it's it's fandom. But these national writers, here's here's what when they when they you see them saying that stuff. Here's here's what you say to them. I, I had to get this queued up. Here here's what you say. Russell, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize. To absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f- he wants. Tell him to screw off. That's what you do. Okay. Keep Tennessee's name out of your mouth. And I hope that all of those guys realize that nobody likes what they write. I mean, they're, none of them are self-aware enough to know this. But I hope that all those guys realize that nobody likes or respects anything that they write except for the other guys that do what they do. The other guys and girls that do what they do. Nobody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Don't, the only I, time I, they well, get I mean, attention like this is when they talk about Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I'm certain that Dan Wolken sat in his mom's basement and probably gave Pete Thamel a standing ovation reading that. I bet he was, oh, this is great. Tennessee, give him the death penalty. I'm sure. But he's about the only one. Everybody hates you. Hope that you know that because you, you, I mean, you can tell if their ire was turned to any other fan base, that that fan base will hate them just as hard as Tennessee hates them right now. You know, nobody likes you. Nobody likes what you write except for you. Have you, you ever are, come across any of those guys in the press box? 
Uh, yes. I mean, not. I be so. I would say so. I can say stuff like this. I never got chummy with any of them because yeah. I always they would write stuff about Tennessee and be like, "Screw that guy." I'm not gonna. I mean, it's kind of like kind of like Brian Rice going out and just being like, "You can't be on." I love it. Sports animal anymore. <laughs> to, I, to did, I did. Come out, I remember coming across Dan Walter and he sat like right in front of me at the press box one time, and he's he's shorter than I thought he would be, but he was just a complete douche. I mean, there's two people. There's two people that I've seen in the press box, like you know how it is, like Kirk Herb Street. Chris Fowler, they just kind of walk through. They're, they're not just hanging out in the press box. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Brent Musburger actually used to hang out in the press box and talk to people. But Dan Walken and Tim Brando was at the spring game one year for something, for some reason. And he was the biggest jerk that I've ever seen in that press box, by they, far. They think they're real cool. They, they think, oh, I work for USA Today. Nobody reads USA Today. What newspapers are dead. USA Today, the only thing that's less relevant to that is Yahoo Sports. USA Today, <laughs> shut up. Oh, I, I write for a newspaper. Oh, you mean the completely dead medium, the newspaper? Yeah, oh, that's great. Good for you. Awesome. All he, all he writes is outrage columns. That's all exactly. Dan Walker writes. That's his whole just, purpose. Those, all those guys just want to be outraged all the time. And that's, I mean, that's Twitter and Facebook in general these days. And I hate that to begin with. I cannot spend that much time outraged about every single thing that happens, but especially in sports, which is supposed to be a distraction. I've written about sports for a long time. You've done it. Like this, it's not like we're writing about covering a war or politics or anything. I mean, it's a game. It's literally a game. That's a distraction from the rest of life. And these national guys treat it like they are doing this incredibly (laughs) investigative reporting that has to be done, that they're making a difference. And I'm sorry, you're not. When you do put out an article that has a, a quote from it, people are just clicking on it to get the information real quick. They don't care about your columns. They don't. Not at all. What they do does not matter to real life. And that's, and as we're saying, we did this and you just have to be self-aware enough to be at peace with that. Yeah. And I, it always kind of bugged, bugged me because sometimes I would, like I would try, I would go Tennessee fans a little bit because it's just fun. Poke the bear a little bit. And, and I, as I'm also a Tennessee fan, you know, but I, I just like throwing some stuff out there that I know is going to razz people up and you get responses back like that it's like shut up you don't matter and you kind of go i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> I, I don't I, I write about sports and that doesn't matter sports are a frivolous thing they are a joy in life outside of real life and you write about i mean it's it's why i think a lot of those guys try so hard and reach so far to bring politics into what mm-hmm. they do because that gives it meaning. Politics has real impact on real life. And so they go, oh, well, we'll, we'll try to, well, well I'm going to write my think piece about the, blah, 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 you know, and they try to act like they're high-minded at all. You don't matter. What you do does not matter. It is frivolous. And if you didn't do it, the world would go right on spinning, boy. And nobody cares. And on top of that, you write for a newspaper that nobody reads. So I like... 
man, I, I could go all all day. None of those guys. It doesn't matter because none of those guys are self-aware enough to even think that no, they're ever wrong. No, I mean, this, no. it doesn't matter. But it's fun to tear them down. You know, it's just fun to sit here and dump on those guys because screw them. That's why. Oh, yeah. They're so they're so self-absorbed that they the very people that they rail against, the people that that don't have that see things one way. That's the way they are. I mean, they've got tunnel vision on what they think and they're just looking for something to confirm it. I mean, I can't imagine how overjoyed they were when the trash started hitting the field Saturday night. Oh man. I mean, they knew that they, they all, well, I guess they, they probably had a couple of different moments. They had one column written and then they went, <sighs> and they were hitting that delete button real quick and going, all right, here's my, here's what I'm writing about. You know, they, Did they you, all, there was one person, I can't remember who it was. It might've been, Pete Thamel. Somebody suggested that Tennessee should not be allowed to have fans at their next home game. Did you I think that? it was in that, yeah, that Thamel piece. What? Oh my gosh. That's and, just and like, absurd. Like, even somebody that covers sports for a living should know that there's zero chance of that happening. Yeah, for all your ticket sales. That's that's what the that's the call. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. What an absurd, stupid, unbelievably Honestly, just flat out dumb. What a dumb, you're dumb for suggesting that. That's dumb. Like I can't I can't even give you the benefit of the doubt in any way. That's dumb. I want to know who are the agents and the athletic directors that confide in Pete Thamel and because yeah. he does break some news more so than Dan Walker never breaks anything. Uh Pat Forty, I I don't the only time he pops up is when he says something stupid about Tennessee. Uh, but but Pete Thamel does break stuff from time to time. He does. And who, who is talking to this guy and why? I don't get it. There's so many other like good national sports writers out there that you could waste your time with instead of that guy. I don't. I don't know. Like because I like I know. Through through doing Swain's show, we had a really good relationship with Chris Lowe, who's yeah, he breaks a lot of stuff. Yeah, yes, he is super super connected, and and is really good. He's actually he's great friends with uh, Lane Lane Kiffin. Like there, he's yeah, he wrote a good article, a behind the scenes article today on the Lane Kiffin coming back to Knoxville, and it was well done. It it didn't take crazy angels. He's he's got a he's got a nice connection with with Lane, but he's got a nice connection with a ton of coaches. Yeah. But the thing with Chris is that he's like one of the nicest people I've ever met. And he's really cool. And it's not because he's a Knoxville native or anything like that. Like there's Barrett Salee. I like Barrett a lot. He's a really nice guy who mm-hmm. has been good to to me personally. When I've asked him to come on a radio show, he comes on. He doesn't big time me. He doesn't do any of that nonsense. Like there are guys out there that that do this the right way. <laughs> and these douchebags aren't any of them. I mean, it, it just like the, there is a big, a big difference. And just, yeah, shout out to Chris Lowe. He's <laughs> the man. Um, but I, I think we, we could talk in circles about that all, all day long. I, I just, to get my blood pressure down, I just <sighs> got to decompress a little bit. Uh, and, I guess to to well, any any parting thoughts on any of that to make sure we don't we don't miss anything. Did you have any anything else? Because I think that's that's all I got. Oh, I'm sure I've missed plenty, but I'll tweet about it later because yeah. it's it's really fun because people always respond to that type of stuff. They do. Tennessee fans universally hate 
Dan Walton seems to be the main one, but but Pat Forty and some of those others are kind of getting close there with him. But but Dan Walton almost seems like a parody account at times. It's so absurd. <laughs> some of the stuff you just look at his timeline today. I was just scanning through it, and it's just it's unbelievable. He's but, I I've not seen someone that completely non self aware. Like he's yeah. he's unparalleled in that. Mm-hmm. unparalleled in his delusion and, and inability to be self-aware. Um, he's made a career out of it, so good yes. on him, I guess. But I don't know how he I stays employed, but more power to, to him, I guess. Person. Like, I, I don't want to ever be that not self-aware. Like it, it makes sense to me to be like Clay Travis. I wouldn't want to be that guy where you a whole side of your purpose is to be hated. Mm-hmm. But also, like, like Clay Travis... Half of his whole persona is being hated by one set of people, but then he has a massive loyal set of fans. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates Dan Walken. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is fun yeah. about being that person? What is fulfilling? Mm-hmm. What is your life? Like, to just be, yeah, I want everybody to hate me. That's... <laughs> well, it's because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room at all times. He's that type of guy. Just del- delusion. Yeah. Straight up delusion. I I don't know, but let's just finish with. <laughs> it's been a heck of a show. Uh, let's just finish with the Alabama game, Tennessee, Alabama, Tuscaloosa. This coming week, let's say let's assume Hendon's not playing. Heupel did come out today, and he said that he does think it's not a long term injury. Of course, Heupel has not been the most forthright person when it comes to injuries, which fine, that's okay. Um, I hope he's not pulling any punches there because that's amazing news. Because if you if you can get him back in two weeks and get him totally fresh for the Kentucky game, it's massive for the rest of the year. And uh, and so I let's let's assume that he's not playing against Alabama. Let's assume I guess that Milton is the starter. Any feelings other than a loss here? No, I mean, does Alabama cover? I mean, that's about the only question I have. And last I saw, it was like 25, 26 point spread. Yeah, I think it opened it. So. Opened at like 24, I think. Um, you just want to get out of this game healthy. I mean, that's exactly. the biggest thing. You got a bye week coming up after. Uh, you want to be competitive. You don't ever punt a game. Like you said earlier, you play every game to win. But you also, you also have to be smart. You got to know what you're playing for. And if you can get out of this game healthy, get your bye week. You can, you can have a strong, you know, last month of the season. You got Georgia in there, a game you're probably not winning. Although I think that game, I think Tennessee, Georgia hasn't really had any competition this year. And it's because every matchup has been perfect for them. Uh, Auburn, Kentucky, teams that don't really have explosive offenses. Georgia's offense isn't explosive. I don't think Georgia's going to go put up 45 points on Tennessee. I don't know. Tennessee's going to score more than two or three touchdowns on Georgia at most, but I think that's a game that could maybe give Kirby Smart a bit of a headache because Tennessee's offense is tough to defend against because they're not not trying to out-athlete you. They're trying to out-steam you, and that's where you know maybe that game can be interesting. I don't think the Alabama game is going to be close. I just they'll they'll outscore. They'll put up points on Tennessee. Um, I think in just get, in just this, stay healthy in this game. Heupel obviously cannot do this publicly, 
But I think you have to have an attitude of we'll get him next year with yeah. Alabama. You have to be realistic about the situation that you're in and go, my priority really needs to be this Kentucky game because a win mm-hmm. there is realistic and a win there would be huge. So I, I think you have to kind of just come to grips with that. I know Tennessee fans saw them lose the Texas A&M, saw them get played close by Florida, but you just your roster is decimated with injuries and your roster was already extremely thin. And you just, you have to face down the reality of the situation and go, we'll get them next year. And, and I mean, obviously I, I'm assuming hooker wouldn't have been ready no matter what, whether this was a winnable game or not. Um, but that that's the biggest one to me, get that kid in as good a shape as you can for the Kentucky game. Um, and so with all those assumptions in mind, I mean, What's a realistic square? I think Tennessee will score some, even with Milton in, um, or Bailey, whoever. I, you know, 40, 42, 42-21, something like that. That's a real clean, only touchdowns kind of a score, but, you know, that's, I'm, yeah, maybe I'm, that'll I'm, happen. I'm not far from that. I mean, I, I feel pretty similar. I'm 38-17 Alabama. Yeah. I think. I mean, Tennessee's defense played well against Ole Miss. I think they, I think they'll play well against uh, Alabama. The seventeen might be a stretch if Milton plays. I just, man, he just cannot. You think it'd be offense. that bad? I have no faith in him. It's like he, he's got worse. I mean, I see now everything that Michigan fans said about him has been true. Uh, yeah, everything, every everything that they pointed towards has has been accurate. So. I just I just don't think he has it, and I think playing in Tuscaloosa, it's a night game. Uh, Alabama still, even though they beat Mississippi State last week, they still act like they have something to prove. And I think that defense is going to be flying around. They haven't been great, but I think they'll probably be able to shut Tennessee down for the most part if, if Milton plays. Bama has been giving up 20 points on average. So... Yeah, maybe 17 is a little closer, right? I'll stick with my 21. Say, I'll give him I mean, you never know. Yeah. You yeah. break a big play if Tyon Evans plays. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you get Tennessee's got playmakers out there. Velas makes a nice play. Tyon makes a nice play. Anything can happen. Um, but that's, I, it has, I, you're mentioning there with Michigan fans, like they were right about Milton. We did get two sides of that coin this season, though, because Michigan fans were right about Milton, and then you have Virginia Tech fans looking what Hinton Hooker mm-hmm. is doing, and they go, True. what the heck, man? Why weren't you doing that here? Hey, why why are you so much better at Tennessee? So that's nice. You did get both. Because it's, yeah, it it's a very Tennessee thing to get a kid in, you know, with, with fans saying, oh, he's going to stink, and then he stinks. That's very Tennessee. But it's not as Tennessee yeah. to have a transfer come in and be great. Pretty like much that, happened so. with, you know, Keller Christ, which was supposed to be great, mm-hmm. which I constantly forget about that guy. That was just <laughs> terrible. I and, said uh, a f- funny story about Keller Christ at the his spring game that he was here. I ended up sitting uh, beside his family, his whole like his mom and his dad and everything. And I talked to him for a while. <laughs> that game, super nice people, super nice people. Very, they're very, very proud that he went to Stanford. Um, uh, yeah, I would be too. You yeah. should be, you know. Um, but yeah, he stunk. Sorry to his parents if they're listening. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, yeah. You talk about transfer quarterbacks real quick. It's something I, I tweeted last night. Maybe Tennessee should go after Miles Brennan. And I know a lot of people mm. have from LSU. I know 
a lot of people said, well, you got Hendon Hooker. Well, yeah, but look how quickly Hendon Hooker's got hurt. He runs a lot. You can never have too many quarterbacks. If we've learned anything, I mean, Tennessee had like six quarterbacks in the spring, and they're down to three, uh, really two now if Hooker's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, why not go after Miles Brennan? You, they got Max Johnson at LSU. They've got uh, Garrett Nussmeyer. I think they've got another hot shot recruit coming in next year. Miles Brennan's six-year senior. He's got NFL talent. He's just kind of been bitten by injuries last year. Freak accident, broke his arm right before the season this year. He's got talent. Uh, why not go after him and see if he wants to, you know, play one year and try to get his NFL stock, draft stock up there. That's a guy that I would make a run at, especially now that LSU's kind of in flux, searching for a new coach and whatever's going to happen down there. Just get as many warm bodies in the door as you can yeah. right now is what I would say. You got to just stack the roster with something. <laughs> You know, like just you can't have what is it seventy one scholarship players or whatever this year. Like yeah, and a lot of them are hurt. Dudes, yeah, get some dudes in the door asap. Um, but I think that's it. Bottom line to Tennessee fans to walk away from this: don't condone throwing stuff on the football field. Not good, but embrace being the villain. Just be. It's okay. It's okay that they hate us. They hate us because they ain't us, baby. You know? Screw them. That's the bottom line. They can shut up because they don't know. Nope. All right. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. Thank you so much for listening. Been been an incredible season so far. I'm having a ton of fun. I I know we played into their hands, but I I love dumping on those idiots uh like we did in this episode very cathartic that was nice i had a good mm-hmm. time <laughs> uh a to z sports.com for everything zach and i write uh at a to z sports on twitter and instagram and the a to z sports podcast network feed rate review subscribe spotify apple blah 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 that's all thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week see you guys later <laughs>